Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. This message comes from our series, Represent. During this series, we learn how to represent God through our words and actions. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. Yeah, you guys are awesome this morning. You guys are fired up. Any guys ready to blow something up in the next day or two? All right. Awesome, awesome. Hey, I want to welcome both of our campuses here. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus to this moment. I want to welcome our Noonan campus. So let's say hello to each other today. Can you do that? Both campuses. We are so glad that you're here on this 4th of July weekend. Some people say, man, what is it like to preach a message on 4th of July when many people are away? Listen, I am preaching this message today like I may never get to preach again in my life. So three hours from now when we finish... It's going to be awesome. No, I just want to tell you, I pray the next 30, 35 minutes, God just really speaks to us. So we're going to launch a new series today called Represent. And uh, we're all good at representing things in our life, right? We're good at representing our favorite sports team, our favorite school. You know, in less than, I think, 50-something days, some of you know, are going to be representing your favorite college football team. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right, right? The drought is almost over. It's not a rain drought. It's a college football drought that we're in. And I uh, can't wait for that to happen. It's going to be amazing. So we represent a lot of things in our life. We represent our families. Some of you go, hey, I have this last name that's representative of who I am. Some of us, we represent our work, like we represent our companies. Like say, if you work for a certain company, like that's who I represent. We represent so many things. But I want to tell you this, every person in this room, we have something in common. Every person at LaGrange, we have something very in common today. All of us in this room, we represent the United States of America. Right? Like, we represent the United, like, that's a big deal. We don't always realize that, but, but let, me give you, let me give you perspective of how important that is. Because, you know, years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, people risked their lives and they risked their families and they left countries and they left places and many of them left an identity of who they were in another country to come to this place for an idea that we call freedom, that we call America. And, and sometimes I think we've lost a little bit of our, our swagger as Americans. Maybe we need to get our swagger back a little bit. What does it mean to say that, that all these people gave their lives to come to a place that represents what we call America? Now, here's how crazy that is. Do you realize in the next 60 seconds, 250 babies will be born? Next 60 seconds. Let me tell you how awesome it is to be an American. In the next 60 seconds, 250 babies will be born across the world. Only five of those will be called American. Man, we're privileged. And what that means and what we represent is so, so big. Like, we need to get back to representing our country with some swagger, right? Like, more than just showing up for the Olympics and winning all the swimming events, like, we need to get back to having some swagger about what it means to be an American. So here I am, I'm dressed in my red, white, and blue. Tracy dressed me today. I got to wear my Jesus sandals today. Just want to point those out to you, okay? I'm sure if Jesus were alive today, he would wear chacos. That's all I'm gonna say, okay? Okay. 
And uh, some of you go, oh my gosh, are you going to preach like that all summer? No, this will be the only, the only time you'll see my big toes, okay, <laughs> this summer. But I, I want to tell you like just how awesome it is to be here on this July 4th weekend and to represent America. But I want you to also know I represent something more than that. I represent a movement of people who've been changed by Jesus Christ. We're called Christ followers, right? Like as great as it is to think that I represent America, it's even greater to think that I get to represent Jesus. Like it would be great to represent a a college football team or to represent maybe a pro basketball team. But how awesome it is to think that we're here today and we're gathered under one name. We just sang it. His name is Jesus, right? And we represent Jesus. And we're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. What is it that we represent? We represent Jesus to this world. And we're going to talk about that today. In fact, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as you're turning over there, I want to play this out for you a little bit. When you hear the word Christian, what do you think? What does the world think? Like if I were to go out and survey 100 people who are not here today in church, maybe they're just, you know, at a, 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 some sort of a field or a baseball game or whatever, and just say, when you hear the word Christian, what comes to your mind? There's a very good chance that they would say something that we're against, right? Like Christian, oh, they hate people who are addicts. They judge people who are ex. They treat people this way. Like our world has kind of this warped perspective. In fact, let me say it this way. Our world is confused about what we represent. Can I just say that today? Our world's really confused. Like our world has an idea of what we represent. If you ask them, they'll tell you. Like they won't just tell you like because you're walking by them as a Christ follower. But I know the other day, like I told someone, they said, are you a Christian? I said, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. And they said, good, because I've met a lot of bad Christians. See, in our culture, especially here in the South, if you call yourself a Christian, and I'm not saying it's bad to call yourself a Christian, but I'm just saying our world is confused about what we represent. And what's bad is they see gaps in us and they fill in the gaps for us. Oh, you guys are about hate. Oh, you guys are about judging people. Oh, you guys are, you guys are about this. But is that really what we're about? So as we launch this series today, I really feel like I need to kind of set the record straight because many of the things that the world thinks that we are against, we're not really against. The problem is the world doesn't know what we're for, right? Like what if we spent more of our time living our life explaining to the world what we're for instead of just trying to convince them of what we're against? Now, I know that's weird because here in the South, we kind of have a brand of of religiosity about, man, we got to take a stand against something. No, we need to take a stand for something. Can I get an amen? amen? Like, we need to stand for something, not against something. So someone the other day said, when are you going to take a stance against this? I said, I'm not. <laughs> what? No, I'm not going to stand against that. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to stand for. So our world is confused about what we represent. But you know, the worst part of that is this. The world thinks we're about ourselves. Like a lot of people I know who are not Christ followers, if you ask them what they think about the church or what they think about people who claim the name of Jesus, in many uncertain words, they begin to say, you guys are about yourself. You're about your group. We used to call it the country club, right? Like, you're, you're, you're 20 and no more type group, like the sanitized select group, right? 
Like you're the only clean ones in the culture. And so many times they begin to say, well, man, that, that, that's, that's, not, that's not what I want. They, they think we're about ourselves. And I, I just want to say this publicly. A lot of times we are. In fact, I want to say this today to you watching by camera. I want to apologize. If you're not a Christ follower today and you think that all people who follow Jesus are about themselves, I want to apologize because I want to tell you for years, the American church at many times has been more about themselves. But I want to tell you that I represent a new movement of people. We're not going to be about ourselves. And we're going to represent something different to you. Because I think the new movement that God wants to do in our lives is he wants to get us past ourselves. Who cares about our preferences anymore? Who really cares about what we think sometimes? The world often confuses what we represent. So here's the solution. We need more attractive Christians. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, you look really good. Okay, some of you just use that as a pickup line. And I think that's totally cool. Because chances are you're going to go to a picnic with that person, fireworks, you know, I don't know. Might be a shot there. We fell in love at church. We need more attractive Christians. I mean, we really do. Have you noticed that a lot of Christians aren't very attractive? I'm not talking about physical looks. Okay, some of you go, oh, you're totally judging. Okay. (laughs) No, I just noticed like in our culture, we don't have a lot of attractive Christians. And when the world sees someone who's really attractive for Jesus, it blows their mind. Okay, like, let me give you an example. Tim Tebow, attractive for Jesus. And some of you women go, and attractive in another way. Okay, I'm not talking about that. Listen, the dude could look like he got his face hit by a shovel. But if he's attractive for Jesus, It's a conundrum to our world. We need more attractive Christians. We need more Christians that when the world looks at us, they not only know what we represent, they know who we represent. And who we represent will attract them to the one we represent. Right? We need, can I get an amen to that? We need more attractive Christians. I mean, I meet people, they look like they got baptized in pickle juice. I'm like, what happened to you? I went to church. Really? Well, don't go back. Like if church makes you that angry, you need to find another church. Right? (laughs) Some of you go, oh, he's going there. I'm totally going there today. Like I said, I don't know how much time God's going to give me in my life. But I can tell you this, the world needs more attractive Christians. See, what we need to do is this. It's time for us to represent Jesus. It's time for us to represent. This whole series about representing is about representing Jesus. What if we cared less about the label Christian and we started living in such a way as representers of who Jesus is and just lived for what Jesus lived for and loved the way Jesus loved and did what Jesus did? I double dog dare you with the cherry on top. Next 365 days, just do that. You will become the most attractive Christian in the world. You will have your own row here at Southcrest. It'll be like your own, you won't even need your own seat. You know, in some churches, people own the seats. You'll have your own row because it'll be like there's 17 people who were attracted to Jesus because of my life. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome? We need to represent Jesus. If you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5, 
2 Corinthians 5. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth wasn't the uh, easiest church in the world to be a founder and leader of. In fact, they had issues. Everyone say, they had issues. They had issues. Now, listen, we got issues. See, we're just like the church at Corinth in America. We got issues in the American church. We got people deciding they're going to go to a church by a style of worship. Got people decide, I'm going to go to a church that dresses a certain way or that doesn't dress a certain way. I've heard people say one time, they said, when I go to church without a suit, I feel naked. Now, I just want to say, I feel naked when I'm naked, right? <laughs> Let's just mark that out there real quick. So Paul, he's trying to deal with all the issues within the church. So he's talking to a group of people who call themselves Christians. He's talking to Christ followers. And he says these words to us, and it really helps us understand how we can represent Jesus to our world. Look at verse 11. This is Paul speaking. He says, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. See, people were judging Paul. Paul was so radical. In fact, I, I just want to say this. I think Paul was so radical. If he were to speak in most churches in America, people would get up and walk out. It's not that he would offend people. He just scared people. Because listen, when you meet Jesus on the side of a road and he so radically changes your life, you don't really care what anyone else thinks. Like you met Jesus, right? He knocks you off the horse. And so Paul's saying, listen, what matters is in the heart. And in verse 13, he says, if, if we are out of our mind, as some say, in other words, people had accused him, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. They were judging Paul's motives. Paul, why are you writing these letters? Paul, why, are you, why, do, you, why do you concern your so much, uh, yourself so much with all these matters about the church? It was almost like, hey, we know you helped start this thing and we know that you're kind of like the, the person that's kind of moving us on. But, but then they started having little comparisons. In fact, earlier in the chapter four, they start comparing Paul to other people. Paul addresses it. He said, some of you follow Apollos and you like him and some of you follow this person and you like him. And he's like, you can't compare people to people. You should always compare people to Jesus. Let me give you something that'll free your life up as a believer in Christ. Quit comparing people to people. Start comparing people to Jesus. That's who we represent, by the way. We don't represent each other. We represent Jesus. And we don't even represent a brand of a church. We represent Jesus. And so Paul starts calling it out and they're judging his motives. Have you ever had anyone judge your motives before? Like you did something and someone questioned why you did it. That's what was happening to Paul. They were judging him. And, and, and here's what Paul basically tells us in this moment, that we've got to consume ourselves with what God says about us. You need to consume yourself with what God says about you. And here's why. Because if not, you will always be concerned and eventually consumed about what others say about you. So Paul, he looks at him, he's like, I'm not concerned what you think about me. I'm concerned of what God says about me. Listen, to lose your concern about what man thinks about you, you need to be consumed by what God says about you, right? That, what God says about you is true. It doesn't matter what a paper says about you, what anyone says about you. Because if we don't ever get to that point, 
we'll always be concerned about what others think about us. See, I learned a long time ago, if our lives aren't completely sold out to Jesus, then there's always an opportunity that we can be bought out by man. And that's why some of us struggle in our Christian faith to represent Jesus to our world. We're still selling out part of our life to someone else's opinion. Some of you go, oh man, that's so true. I learned a long time ago, I want to be sold, sold out to Jesus that there's no opportunity that anyone can ever buy me out. And so at the end of the day, your thoughts towards me, although they may be good or they may be bad, I don't really care. I don't care. I'm more consumed by what God says about me than what you think about me. That's so freeing as a believer in Christ. And I want to tell you, when we live that way in front of the world, that's a conundrum for them. Because everyone else is calling each other out on social media and making each other feel weird. And God says, no, just go to my word. I'll tell you who you are. You ain't even got to go to the web to figure out who you are. You just go to my word. I'll tell you who you are. And I just think that's awesome. So what is it that we really represent? Because Paul said they were judging his motives. He says, you need to consume yourself with what God says about you. What is it that we represent? Paul kind of tells us this in the latter parts of this chapter. And I want to share with you today what Paul says to us and what we represent. In fact, I want to say it to you this way. If you're watching us by camera or film today, I want to tell you this. You may not follow Jesus And I apologize to you earlier because I've seen a lot of Christians not really represent what this whole thing's about. So I wanna make a statement to you today. This is what we represent. No matter what you've seen anyone else do, no matter what you've heard someone else say or what someone's opinion is, this is what we represent. And I wanna share it with you today. If you have a pen, write it down. Number one, we represent love. We represent love. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, after he says, don't judge on me and don't don't look at my motives, in verse 14, he tells us something. He tells us what he represents. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Listen to what he says. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Listen, what compels you in your life will eventually control you in your life. So let me say it this way. What compels you will motivate you. It becomes your motivation. So at the time that they're kind of judging all of Paul's motivations, he says, let, let, me, let me give you what my motivation is. For Christ's love compels me because I am convinced that Jesus died for all. You see, when I was growing up, they don't understand this word compel a whole lot. So let me give you the word picture. I used to grow up and I loved matchbox cars. Anyone have matchbox cars growing up? I mean, matchbox cars were the bomb. In fact, I want to confess publicly, Tommy, I stole your matchbox cars. When you were 13 and you didn't want to play with them anymore, I took them and sold them. I made lots of money, okay? I just want to say that. I had to get that off my chest. But uh, I loved matchbox cars. And in our house, they had these plastic little, uh, they were like little things that you would put together. They had these little connectors and they would become a track for the matchbox cars. And the funny thing is you could take a regular matchbox car and you could kind of run it across the ground and it would a little bit, you know. 
But if you took that car and you built a track all the way across the house and you set that thing in motion and you put it within the track and you let that thing go, you could literally fly one of those matchbox cars over somebody's house. That's the word picture. Here's what Paul said. I have been changed by the love of Jesus. And what I represent now is love. And when he uses the word compel, it's the word control. He says, Christ's love controls me. I want to tell you today what we represent. We represent love. And when our lives are controlled by love, a lot of other things don't matter anymore. Can I get an amen? It just don't matter anymore. He said, I'm consumed. And then that word compel means literally to control almost to the point of impaling something. And Paul said this, we represent love because Christ's love compels us. You see, the challenge with that is this. If we're not motivated by love, what are we motivated by? Because we've made this whole Christian life thing a lot of other things that may not involve love. I mean, think about it this way. Paul, he was so motivated by love that later on in his writings in Romans, he says these words in Romans 8. Listen to what he's talking about, the love of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the what? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This love consumed him and therefore it propelled his life. I want to I ask you to do something real quick. I want you to look in your own heart and I want you to ask this question. How consumed are you by love? Because if you're not, you've made the gospel of Jesus Christ out to be something it may not be. Paul said, Christ's love compels me. You know, there's a lot of things that can compel you. Have you ever been compelled by fear? Like fear, like afraid? Of course you have. There's other, I mean, fear can motivate you. It can compel you. But that's not what Paul said. He says, I'm not motivated by fear. I want you to hear this. The gospel of Jesus is about love, not about fear. And that's an attack on a religious spirit that may be here today because we've been led to believe that I give my life to Jesus out of fear of dying and going to hell. Some of you go, that's not it? Like I've been living this life my whole life thinking that I have to come to church and I have to give my life to Jesus so that I won't be fearful of dying and going to hell. Listen, I want to announce to you today, you've missed half the equation. That's called fire insurance. Paul said the love of Christ compelled him and the gospel of Jesus is about love. It's not about fear. You see, religion's about fear because it wants to keep God right here at a distance with the idea that if I don't keep God close to me, then when his judgment comes, it will be against me. That's fear. Love says, I didn't do anything to deserve it and I didn't do anything to earn it, but God loves me. And when you harness that into a matchbox track, you'll be sending cars all over the world. I want to tell you today, we represent love because Jesus has changed us by his love. You know what else we represent? We represent transformation. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, and he says, and he died for all. Who's he? Jesus. 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. In other words, you don't have to live a purposeless life. Have you ever thought about how empty your life is if you live for yourself? Paul said, you don't have to live for yourself. Jesus came so you can have more than yourself. And let me just say this. If you live your whole life for yourself, you will probably die by yourself. Jesus wants to give you more. And he says that. He said, but they're raised again. And then verse 16, he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Paul said that this representation of transformation actually causes you to see people differently. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And then he says in verse 17, and I love this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone. The new is here. We represent transformation. Listen, Jesus died so we could experience transformation, not behavior modification. As my buddy J.R. Lee says, Jesus didn't die so bad people could become good. He died so that dead people could come alive. And that's transformation. And some of you in this room, you're in a real conundrum like now because you've lived your whole life in fear. Like, what happens if I die? Am I good with God? Like, is God gonna love me? Is he gonna let me in? That used to be one of the questions we would ask when we would tell people about Jesus. If you were to die right now and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And I remember I would look at people and ask that question. And they'd say, well, I'm not thinking about dying right now. The gospel is about transformation. Paul's saying you don't have to have an empty life. You don't have to live a self-directed life. Jesus came so you can have more. In fact, I wanna say something today that's gonna challenge us. The gospel is about transformation, not just information or just salvation. Whoa, whoa. Wait a minute, Sean. I've been taught all my life that the gospel is about the fact that Jesus died on a cross because I was a sinner. And so he had to die like they had to murder him so that I could be saved. Well, that's true, but it's only half the story. You see, the day that, the day that in the garden, the day that Adam sinned, something left Adam's life. It's called love. Because when he sinned, He was separated from God. And so what God's trying to bring them back to is a transformed life. He said, anyone in Jesus is a new creation. That's transformation, not information. And even the word saved, you know what the word saved means? It means delivered from something, listen, to someone. So let me say it this way. How many of y'all love transformers? (laughs) Y'all ever gotten those little transformers? I know some of you dads, you play with your kids' toys all the time. Okay, if you don't, you're missing a great opportunity. It's therapy. It's therapy for the soul when you're 50 and you play with your kids' toys, okay? So transformers, like you get it and it's a dump truck, but then you transform it and it's a war machine. See, here's where we think the Christian life is. God just loves my dump truck. I come to church because I want Jesus to tell me how beautiful my dump truck is. Jesus didn't save you so you could stay a dump truck. He saved you so he could transform your life because we represent transformation, not just information and not just the idea of salvation. There's so much more to the Christian life. And I wanna say this to you today. Some of you, you've been raised in religious homes and you think that God is mad at you. He's not mad at you. He wants to transform you. He wants to restore what Adam had back in a garden and that's his love in your life. 
totally different. You see, we've made the Christian life about punching a ticket to get out of hell. That's not transformation. So let me say it to you this way. It's about Christ in you. We represent transformation and transformation means Christ in you. In fact, I said this 20 years ago. I'm just gonna bring it back because I think it fits the moment. Christianity is Christ in unity. That's what it is. It's not about praying a prayer so you don't die and, 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 and make it to heaven. It's Christ in you. Paul said Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christianity is Christ in unity. I can see lights coming on in people's hearts. We had people give their life to Jesus at the, the first service today because for the first time, they realized it's Christ in you. Not me trying to live for him. It's totally different because we represent transformation. Jesus said it best. He says it in his own words in John 10, 10. He says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's transformation. You see, some of us say, man, I've given my life to Jesus, but my life is nothing but full. It's only quarter full or half. Listen, Jesus said, I'll bring you transforming. In fact, he goes on to say it in John 7 when he's at one of the greatest festivals of all time where they were pouring out water and Jesus would stand up on the last and greatest day of this festival that they celebrated this religious moment. And Jesus said these words about transformation. Listen to what he said. He said, whoever believes in me, as scriptures has said, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Jesus wasn't speaking so metaphorically as the world would say. He was saying, there's something I want to transform in you that will come out of you. See, religion is our attempt to live outside in. I want to modify my behavior so that God will love me, and, and, but that's not the gospel. Religion is about our attempt to live outside in, but Jesus came so that we could live inside out. Outside of us will flow rivers of living water. We represent transformation. Let me tell you what else we represent. We represent reconciliation. Now that's a hard term because we don't use the word reconcile a whole lot. How many of you actually reconcile your bank account every month? Raise your hand. <laughs> I did it. Yeah. I, every time I ask that, people don't reconcile their bank accounts anymore. What do you do? You go to the web. First you pray. Then you go to the web and you say, God, if you're alive, would you let $7 be in my account? <laughs> Lord, you took five loaves and you did something amazing with it. God, you can take $3 and turn it into 13, you know. But you go there and we don't usually reconcile things. What reconcile means is this. It means to take something and put it back into its right place. It means to literally bring it back from what it wasn't to be what it in, was intended. Listen to what Paul said in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that he was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And then he says this, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So he says something really crazy there. He says he's given us the ministry and the message. What is the ministry? That word ministry means spirit-enabled power. In other words, God wants to use you to represent. 
He's given it to us. I I think we need to hear this because we hear the word ministry and we think of people who are called to the local church. Every person in here is called to ministry. Some of us are called to serve in the local church. But every person in here is called. If you know Jesus, you have a ministry. He's called you to be a minister. Why? Because he's given you a ministry. This whole idea about representing is figuring out that God has spiritually enabled us to do something great for his name. And so he says, listen, God's given you a spirit-enabled service and he's given you a message. Not just a ministry, but a message. And here's the message. God is reconciling people to himself. In other words, God wants to bring people back into a right standing or relationship with him. So I want to say it to you in a very profound way. I want you to look at the screen as I say these words. I'm going to read it one time and then I want you to read it with me. Here's what God was saying that we are empowered to represent to our world. God is not mad at you. He loves you. And he sent Jesus to pay for your sins so that you would not have to. And his deepest longing is to bring you back into a relationship with himself. So I want you to say it with me. It's on the screen. Read it. God is not mad at you. Come on. And he loves you. He sent Jesus to pay for your sins so you wouldn't have to. And his deepest longing is to bring you back into a relationship with himself. You see, that's not the message the world believes we represent. But we represent reconciliation. I like how Paul said it. He said, you go tell them that God's no longer holding sins against them which we didn't grow up in a Jewish culture, but in that day, if you went into the temple to worship, first of all, you couldn't even get to the holy place. And if you were were a priest and got into the holy place, if you had sin in your life, many times you would die and they would pull you out by a rope, right? Because God is holy. And so this whole idea that, that God is canceling sin against us because the world's looking at us going, you're counting my sin against me. And I'm saying to you, God loves you. He's not mad at you. He sent Jesus to die for you so that you wouldn't have to pay for your own sin. And more than anything else, he wants to have a relationship back with you more than anything else. Why did God send Jesus? So we could have a relationship with him. It's not that our sin was so bad. It's that we were so empty apart from him. We represent people having a renewed relationship with God. Let me tell you the last one and we'll close. We represent love because if love is in us through Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus will come out of us. We represent transformation. It's about a transformed life, not a behavior modified life. We represent reconciliation that God's no longer holding sins against men. But this is the one that ought to throw us over the edge. This is the one that ought to push us out. We represent Jesus. We represent Jesus. He says in verse 20 here, he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. When I felt like the Lord wanted me to preach this passage, that's the part of the passage that 
that wrecks me and excites me at the same moment. God wants to make his appeal through us. Like we are his ambassador. So an ambassador like knows the king and the king says, listen, I want you to go out here and I want you to represent me, which I think is pretty awesome that any king would ever look at me and say, you are my rep. And I want you to live a life that's always repping me to these people. And then he says, and it's as if I'm making the appeal through you. <laughs> he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. It made me think, what did Jesus spend most of his life doing while he was here on earth? For the 33 years he was here, what did he do? He would always point people to the Father and that he would always point people to his kingdom. Jesus was so consumed about pointing people to the Father because he knew the Father had sent him that he didn't care about a lot of other things. Like many times the disciples would come to him and say, Jesus, don't you care that people over here are saying this about you? He's like, I don't care. I'm just here to rep. I am only here to rep the Father and I'm here to point people to his kingdom. So let me ask you a question. If that consumed the life of Jesus, shouldn't it consume our lives? Why would you care about the style of worship? Why would you care about the volume in a worship center? Why would you care about how cool or how hot a room is? I mean, there are people all over the world that don't even have a roof on and they're shouting the name of Jesus and they're repping Jesus and they don't give a rip. This doesn't matter to them. Why does it matter so much to us as Americans? Because we've taken our eyes off what we represent. We represent Jesus. And I just believe the world is waiting to see Jesus. So I want to make this statement. Jesus looks really good in you. Hey, Blair, Jesus looks really good in you. He does. Hey, Collins, Jesus, you wear Jesus very well. Jesus looks really awesome in you. Hey, Justin, Jesus looks amazing coming out of your life. Hey, Paul, Jesus looks amazing when he flows out of you. We were made to represent. Why are we here? We're here to represent. And I think the world, if they could see that we represent love, transformation, reconciliation, but most of all, Jesus. You know what will happen? We will become the most attractive people on the planet. We will have to build seven rooms like this. And it'll be jam-packed on 4th of July weekend. Why? Because we're just out repping Jesus. I want to tell you something. Some of you say, man, Sean, you are so passionate. Like sometimes you just go over the edge. Listen, I can't help it. I'm not trying to perform for you. Guys, I am convinced and convicted that there is one thing that can change my world. And if God gives me 20 more years or five more years, I want to do one thing. I want to represent Jesus to this world. That's all I care about. So if you're here going, well, I wish you'd care more about what I, I don't care what you think. I love you. I do, I love you. I want you to be happy. But I realize you're only going to be happy when you're repping the one that can make you happy. 
That's what I live for. And that's what I want us to live for. Because when we do, we will be so attractive, the world will not be able to turn us away. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.